What's up, y'all? My name is Jake. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking about pornography again, kind of reacting to the first uh, podcast we had with Chris Leck, which was really awesome. So how are you, Carl? I'm okay. I'm tired. Coming off of spring break, which sucks, but I think it'll be okay. How about you? For sure. I'm tired and a little irritable. Yeah. But I'm ex- I'm happy to be here and doing this go. work. Me um, too. So, yeah. yeah. So we, I mean, it was a lot with Chris, man. We talked for a long time. Um, he had a lot to say. We had a lot to say. So is there anything in there that you think we need to clean up or clarify or react to? I guess for me, sometimes it felt like at least my stance on the subject was a little fuzzy. Um, like my thing about pornography is that you have to be able to critically analyze it and be critical of it. And it's not like all forms of pornography are evil, but we were talking about this mainstream pornography that's centered for like really tailored to white hetero, cis hetero white dudes. Um, And so thinking about that in my experience, I think that if I am not like taking a critical eye on it, then I'm just contributing to rape culture. Right. But that's so I th- I want to, I guess, clarify where I was at with it. Yeah, I think it's tough, too. Like, we're like I, por- talking about pornography for me is really hard because well, hard in the podcast sense of hard. But I'm constantly sort of fighting off images of pornography that I consumed as like a teenager and in my 20s while we talk about it because we're talking about porn. It's so involuntary in the sense of like, I need to stay present in this conversation about critically engaging with porn while there's like porn flashing across my brain. And it's just a tiring process. And it's also a really necessary process. And we, I think we're critical of mainstream pornography because in a lot of ways that it's dangerous, right? When we think about marginalized identities, everyone from people of color to transgender people, which are sometimes separate and sometimes not. But in mainstream pornography, which is probably the first porn that people bump up against, that's where there's really problematic representations of marginalized identities. And so what Chris was really good at doing for us is to say, no, no, I mean, yes, mainstream porn in that sense is pretty bad and incredibly dangerous in a lot of ways, particularly to marginalized identities and in our podcast sense, specifically to women as well. But there are definitely cases and productions that explore marginalized identities and reclaims the eroticism of being a person of color or a transgender person to enable to healthily explore those identities in a sexual context. And I think we kind of sort of missed that distinction in the podcast. Yeah. I also think about, because going back to maybe one of the other podcasts where we talked about how men have a hard time talking about sex with each other. Mm-hmm. And how that even is kind of labeled within homophobia and is this just pervasive thing that like two men can't have a conversation about like real experiences with people. Yeah. And I think it's just fascinating that like I I guess when I was like younger and like consuming porn, I thought someone would actually like before, like before watching this, this is like maybe like this is how it is instead of like almost having this like infomercial of what <laughs> like <laughs> sex is rather than like just two people doing something that's just either either very arousing for some or very harmful for some. And so I thought that was interesting that I always kind of thought about porn is like, oh, this was a way for me to learn when that's not true at all. Yeah, it's in my case, at least. Yeah. 
yeah, the nuances are really interesting when talking about porn that I have to constantly remind myself. Like, I'm okay living in the camp of almost all pornography that we're exposed to. It's propaganda for rape culture right. um, at this point because of the rates of sexual violence against women and against men, for that matter, and especially against transgender folks. I think porn has to be a central point of analysis for men like us to explain some of the behaviors out there. Audrey Lord wrote a piece called Uses of the Erotic. The Erotic is Power. And in it, she addresses the impact of pornography on marginalized identities in particular. And she says something to the effect of how porn tends to separate the sensations from the feelings, right? And so if you lose the feelings aspect of the acts of intimacy that are displayed in media, then it's easier to do violence to other people, mm. right? And so that's what she says is the function of porn. And so in her piece, she talks about erotic as power because erotic kind of brings their... She, diametrically opposes pornography with eroticism. And so on the other side of the spectrum would be the erotica, which is reconnecting the sensation with feelings. And that way you can have genuine connections with people through an act of sex. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't think about it as much with that kind of that, that like distinction between feeling and sensation. Yeah. Um, even though like I knew like porn is sensationalized, but yeah, yeah. yeah even if it's the sensation of feeling sexually aroused, when that is disconnected from feelings too much, and then men are already by the age that where they're being exposed to porn are fairly disconnected from emotions in the first place or feelings in the first place, that it creates this concoction of always sort of separating the sensation of sex from the feelings that are supposed to come with connecting with other people. Mm. And so you start to see how there's a very subconscious raising to the level of consciousness of dehumanization of women in particular in mainstream pornography, which is a gear, which is geared towards this hetero white men. I think you start to get to the explanation of why there's so much violence from men onto women. Mm, that's true. It's, and it's, this piece is old. So it's like, well, I don't know. It, old is probably relative to us, but like the answers that we're talking about, and maybe we should reiterate this more and more as we keep going forward, but we don't, we're not creating anything new. And Chris was pretty good at saying that too, is like, we're talking on the backs of women of color, transgender people. We're not reinventing the wheel here. We're just trying to amplify the voices of people like Audre Lorde who have written about this kind of stuff. For sure. And it's just so, so interesting how something, some even language within pornography, even like the title of videos is like either just outright racist or misogynistic or even like even construed for like, even I think young men or even boys to be like looking at porn and being like, oh, this is passionate porn right. on the title. But it's like, is it though? Like, yeah. do they talk? Do they like, do they even like have any genuine connection besides like even kissing each other and then mm -hmm. basically doing the bad? thing um <laughs> well yeah and is her pain construed as pleasure in yeah. the video like there's a lot of things that we could do in terms of giving tools to help bring some of those critiques into people's minds I imagine porn as a drug. It is drug. It's been yeah. related to like a drug, right? Because of the release of brain stuff, even before you open up an app or whatever, you're already in that process of being blind to the things that you're seeing for the purpose of sexual stimulation. And I really connect with that. Like there was a moment, um, maybe just like three or four years ago where I was given a, a porn from a colleague 
um, who I shall keep anonymous. And the point was the it, it was a porn that was labeled as, as feminist porn. And what I noticed in terms of the differences is when I consumed it, there were interviews of the performers beforehand where they talked about their likes and dislikes in the real world. And they like how they have they found a way in pornography to express that. And then the way that it was shot was it had the full body of all of the performers in the frame. Right. So it wasn't mm-hmm. sectioned off to like close in on where, quote unquote, the action is happening, because the theory is that the entire thing is the action. And I found myself not getting. OK, which to me, after like thinking about it, I was like, holy like there's a lot of me, like someone who's trying to do this work on the daily, who connects this idea of power to sexual to being stimulated, because what the shot is basically doing is taking the power out of the equation and the interaction. And I was like, holy, like it's really deep when me at 26, 27, however old I was at the time, who had been kind of doing this undoing of masculinity is still very much deeply connecting this idea of needing some element of power in my sexual experiences. It was nuts. I don't, I don't, Wow. yeah, I don't yeah. know how to replicate that for people because <laughs> it'd be unethical to be like, here, Jake, watch this porn and True. Tell, me how you, <laughs> tell me what you think. <laughs> we can't do that and I won't do that. Um, but sounds uh, good. De- <laughs> de- deconstructing I don't, I don't think I've, I haven't really followed up on that realization for myself. I don't think I will at this point. Um, but what you said during our part one podcast was how am I like that, which I critique. And so I thought we were moving so quickly. I would like to go back to that of just because we're critiquing porn doesn't necessarily mean we aren't consuming it. And so I want, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so I kind of brought that up because I think like, cause I do like to critique porn. I think, and it's important in doing this work, but at the same time I do have a pornography addiction. Right. And so how can I be critical at the same time and be like, Oh, well that's like really up and like not good and harmful, but I'm also contributing to that. And so I think, I think I have, to, it's a way to hold myself accountable for the, maybe the hip, the hypocrisy that I'm enacting, but I think it's also being like a way for self-reflexivity in a way to say like, okay, well for me, like I'm addicted to porn and what, what's the root? Why do I go to porn? Okay. And so I think, and I've talked to like counselors and a lot of people about it. And I think it's about like, uh, just the easy, it's like an easy negative coping mechanism. And so then I think about how does that have to do with um, my anxiety and depression? And I think I kind of mentioned it in our depression podcast too, is that there's those easy coping mechanisms to go to and they're not, not always the most healthy. So I think about how I was saying like, this is bad. Don't do this blah, blah, blah. And at the same time I was, I'm, I would be sitting in my room watching porn like in a couple hours. Like that's just how, how I've functioned for a while. And I'm really trying to get off of that. Yeah. Um, And Chris did a great, well, thank you for sharing. mm -hmm. And Chris did a great job of saying like, listen, if you don't have control of it, that's just a different thing. And that's when you need to go seek help. And it sounds like you're doing that. And so walking that contradiction, um, is, I don't want to say it's okay, Yeah. But I do think it's part of the process. Feminism in particular is one of those spaces where there has to be contradiction during the process of liberation at some to some degree. Like you can't read an article and then suddenly 
change your core to do nothing wrong for the rest of your life. Like that's actually like anti-feminism because feminism is about recognizing our humanity in the process of trying to make the world a better place. So I thought it was really great that you brought that up because it is hard. Like I'm, I'm guessing there's men who try to do good things, who recognize that watching whatever type of porn they're watching is bad, but can't help it. Or they reprimand themselves. Like it's easier to say, oh, I'm a bad person, but still do porn. Um, so I don't know. I thought it was a really great thing that you brought up. You mentioned the the phrase self-reflexivity there. Do you mind mm-hmm. explaining a little bit more what that means? Yeah. Um, so my understanding of it is that it's basically just a way to reflect on one's experiences, one ex- one's behaviors, one's beliefs as well. And for me, that was, was basically my and my pornography addiction now is that it's a way to be like, okay, so where am I at right now and where would I rather be or where should I be? And so, and also how can I be critical in a way that's not self-harming? Okay. And that's really hard for me. Yeah. Cause it's like, well, God damn it. You masturbated to what that porn, what the hell Jake, you said you would not do that. But I think for that self-reflexivity is understanding the impact that you have, you've, you have, or also have done to others and how, how can you repair that? Yeah. And the difference between self-reflexivity and self-reflection is self-reflection is absolutely an internal process. Mm-hmm. Whereas as reflexivity is both internal and external. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And it helps with some level of accountability because then you put it out into a communal space of saying, Hey, I'm trying hard to remedy this thing that was most likely a co- uh, a consequence of deep socialized things. Not that it's an excuse, but mm-hmm. it is definitely a reason for why we do a lot of this stuff. And we're trying to undo that actively. It's a much harder process because it takes the theory that we're talking about and demands that you put it into practice. And that's tough, especially yeah. when it comes to porn use, because if you're unconsciously consuming this for 10 years or more, and then suddenly come into a consciousness about, holy crap, like when we're talking about ending rape culture, we need to do a serious examination of the porn industry, a multi-billion dollar porn industry that one person would probably have a difficult time putting a dent in. It's overwhelming. And sometimes it's just like, if, if you go to porn to cope with feelings and then you say, oh, porn is bad. It's actually really difficult not to go back to porn for that. Right. Uh, it's a fascinating, it's, it's a tough cycle to break. And I don't think we've spent enough time figuring out how to break some of that. Yeah. Um, can I go back to, um, the part where you kind of talked about it being a drug? Yeah. Cause I think like in my experience, like porn is, a, has been a drug for me. And I think, cause like I'll be off of it for a while and like have that, like, I guess almost cleanse or gold cold Turkey, so to speak. Mm. And I don't think I'll feel like withdrawals, like, <laughs> like, Maybe, I don't know, maybe they're unconscious feelings. Um, But I think when you, when I hit these like low moments in life, then then that's where I go to it. But when I am feeling good or like, okay, like I can be off of it for a while, then that's like kind of a cleanse or a, but it's, it doesn't mean I'm not still addicted. Right. So. Yeah. And I think that's cool in the sense that if we do self work, if we do things that make ourselves feel good, that's not bad, like drugs and alcohol and porn. (laughs) 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 If we do those things, then porn becomes less of a crutch, right? Like we want to cast 
cast away that addiction and fill ourselves with other moments of joy so that porn is not needed anymore for the drug-like effect it can have on our brains. And that is also can be hard in the podcast sense of hard for men to figure out when we've been told only to be angry. Right. And so I think if you are taking part in pornography and then you practice self-reflexivity, that might bring you joy. Like it has to me, like I'll be like, put some theory into practice and go, oh, I'm good at this or I'm like getting it and I'm not (laughs) causing harm anymore (laughs) in this part. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not causing harm at all because I do probably every day. Uh, (laughs) Or at least benefit from it. Yeah. And um, I think that the fact that I can recognize like, oh, this is, this is something that I've been really kind of improving on, then that I think brings joy. So therefore, like, I think if you bring into practice what you're, what you're almost preaching, Mm-hmm. then you even can find that piece of joy and then you won't use drugs. You won't use pornography. And I, and I felt that before, but I feel like that's also part of the cleanse that I was talking about. Right. Cause it's that only that those small moments of joy. What was your biggest takeaway with our conversation with Chris? I guess I didn't think about it enough with knowing that some people just don't have, don't know what the experience is like for, for them with their identities. I thought that was kind of more interesting to learn think about and uh chris kind of brought some good knowledge about that and saying like if i am a trans person how does what does sex look like for me right. and and sometimes it's not going to be the way that it actually will be but i think for me as this this hetero white dude it was just so easy to maybe like figure out what sex kind of was but but if i were to approach someone and kind of think about what their experience is it's total totally different so for sure i think for me i'm constantly reminded to keep nuancing the conversations that we have mm-hmm. uh it's easy i think to take an anti-porn stance, but then we end up shaming men who might have legit or who do have legitimate addiction issues like we did in the previous podcast for the dudes and people that watch porn on a bus or in class. Yeah. It was nice to have Chris sit there and be like, hold on, that guy might have a legitimate problem and we shouldn't shame him for having that problem. And so, like I said, it's easier to shame the dude than to say, you know what, let me help you or let me try to get you to people that can help you because I think most of us could agree that watching porn in the classroom is a problem. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I mean, our baseline for normal is so different, but I'm pretty sure most of us can agree that that is a problem. Mm -hmm. And we just encourage men to go seek help. Like asking for help is not a socialized part of what it means to be a cis hetero man. Right. So we understand like the difficulty of that. And again, podcast difficulty means that it's when we say hard, it's not like the hard that transgender people experience on a daily basis, the dangers that they face just going to the bathroom, for example, it's not hard walking around as a woman in this culture that constantly tells you to defend yourself all the time, which can be mentally and physically exhausting. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about men asking for help as a process of hard, um, which isn't relative, but definitely is. And this is the space and the time to talk about what is difficult for men. Uh, And I think it's important to acknowledge how hard it can be to ask for help around things like addiction. Right. For sure. I think it's also interesting that it's hard to, I guess, classify 
what is an addiction. Like even Chris kind of mentioned like some people he's talked to and kind of counseled, they don't think it's like an addiction, but they think it's like a problem. Right. And so then they're like, oh, well, I see images in my head or I think about people this way, but I don't see it as like a super big problem. So it's like hard to even be like, okay, ask for help if you don't know if it's that big of a deal, I guess. But in my case, like I, I, ha- I think I have the, that just that little bit of like, I think almost emotional intelligence and just regular intelligence to know that like, <laughs> that's, yeah, no that's shaming. probably really Stop shitty. Shaming. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and you know, I think if you have a guy in your life who seems like obsessed with porn to some degree, like there's a potential for intervention there too, right? Like mm-hmm. one of the processes for us to deconstruct masculinity is to start looking out for each other in different ways. Right. And so hopefully the conversation with Chris gave other men out there the tools to be able to recognize some of those issues in order to take care of your friend. You know what I mean? Like get in there and ask, Hey man, like, do you feel like you're in control of your porn use? And even that nugget may eventually push that person Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, maybe not a year from now, but that little seed might eventually get that person to a healthier place. And so sure. I think it's important to be on the lookout. And if you believe that you care about somebody, then care about them, like do the effort and the work to care about them. Mm-hmm. And again, that can be hard for men at this point. I also think it's important. And I don't know if this is agreeable necessarily, because I'm going to ask like men to sort of forgive themselves for, I don't know, tripping into socialization or reverting back to bad habits. Like, yes, there's some degree of hypocrisy that would discredit what we're doing. Um, Like we have openly admitted to porn use as an escape or as kind of a problem in our lives, but we're here doing a podcast that's talking about restructuring masculinities. It's easy to dig into our pasts, I think, and say... We don't really deserve to say or do anything about this. I don't, I wrestle with that. And I think it's important for at least some level of self-compassion while doing this work because it can be hard and we need men to continue the work opposed to giving up when they feel like. Right. And I think that, I think when they feel like that, the feeling of feeling like is in my case is like mostly just out of guilt rather than like out of like, oh, I can't do this. Like bullshit you can do it. Um, this is like almost talking to my past self um, a little bit. I mean, and, it's not a bad way to do it. And so I think about how doing this work can produce burnout for people. And there's a difference between, I think, burnout and complacency. I think they go together sometimes, but I think it's okay to feel burnout on doing this work and like give your, yourself like a day or two to, or even a week if you need kind of recuperate and I don't know, heal if that's kind of where you're at. But I think if you're really feeling then that's just guilt and shame kind of wrapped into a little bow. And so if you do, if you are burnout or you are basically almost hating yourself for what's going on, then that's a step to really reflect on where are these emotions coming from and what's these feelings coming from? Is it because of you? Is it because of you being complacent or is it because society has really <laughs> you up and <laughs> yeah. like your socialization with pornography is hard mm-hmm. in the sense of podcast hard. Yeah, that might be the realization of the harms of patriarchy for men, mm-hmm. the harms of white supremacy for white people. So that's right. a place to be and it has to be seen as a, oh, okay, now I get why I'm supposed to be doing this in the first place. So, yeah. But also my advice is never, you'll never stop working. 
even if you're burnt out. Okay. That's where I'm at. I've like, <laughs> even this spring break, I was still like reading stuff and reading articles and just still staying engaged. Word. Close this out. out. I will. And that will do it for part two of our porn series, Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. These are the folks that even allow us to do this podcast in the first place. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WJC, go to wjc.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production by Xavier Hadley, a.k.a. Zavley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you. Deuces. but don't listen. <laughs> Wait, so that's that how again? he supports us. <laughs> yeah, because they're only really tracking downloads. That's they don't true. care if you listen. So I download, but don't listen. You can rate and subscribe and stuff too. I've subscribed. I'm yeah. subscribed. He has like two gigabytes of <laughs> podcasts he has. That I have not listened, listened to. to. I'm glad support for men is that shallow. That's incredible. <laughs> like I'm going to do the minimum amount of work here. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Familiar sounds. Familiar vibes. I Wait a minute. You're insulting your guest. Oh, you're right. I'm here. <laughs> to help? To help. To be a part of something. And I'm getting insulted. I'm cranky in the morning. I'm sorry. I'm still, <laughs> still got this coffee to drink. All right. You ready?